Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If they had to airlift him or if they had to get him to Pennsylvania, he would have been dead. There's no way he would have made it. So luckily, the hyperbaric chamber in New York at the time was available. So it was available. And the governor at the time, Cuomo, was the one who funded to keep it open. The city wanted to get rid of it because it was very expensive. So Governor Cuomo at the time, Mario Cuomo, the old man that is, the old, old, old man. Right. right? This new dude. Not the new So the old, 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 old man. Yeah, the grandpa, the father, the old guy. He's the one who kept it open. My father was able to get, you know, rushed there by ambulance. They put him in the hyperbaric chamber. 
They called the priest. They called my mother. My mother came down. They said, it don't look good. You need to come here. And from what I remember, my mom just said she obviously was very upset. Um, went down there and they brought a priest in to read my father's last rites, basically. Um, and then they said somehow uh, he made it through, you know. So that's just incredible. They yeah. said literally he was dead to he just whoom, came to and he lived through it somehow. So they said the percentage, I can't give you the exact percentage, but just say the normal percentage of, of um, carbon dioxide that you that you can have in you, just say, I'm just using an example. Yeah. So you could handle, just say, 1% of carbon dioxide and then you're basically dead. You know, whatever the amount is, I'm not sure that exact amount. My father had, okay, just say it was 1%, my father was <laughs> going near a 10%. Okay? Oh, my. So whatever the amount was, it was it was not – he should not have lived. They, the guys that were there were like, dude, there's no way. The doctors, the people I talked to, the priest, everyone, everyone that I talked to after this saw me, he was dead, man. They thought, no way. You know, if they're calling a priest in, it ain't good, it, man. It, it's not you know, good. That, that, that's not a good sign. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not exactly so, sure how much carbon dioxide you can take in, but it's uh, obviously yeah. quite harmful. Yeah, there's whatever it is. I don't know if the limits change. It's not much that you can take in. So say it's even 0.5%, whatever it is, his was through the roof, man. So, however, though, you know, they're not going to give up. So he told me, he said, Andrew, I hear everything around me that happened. He said, I heard everything. He goes, I just couldn't see anyone. He goes, but I heard everything. He remembers everything, being transported, the, my mom being there, going in the hyperbaric chamber, people talking. He said he just couldn't say anything to anyone, but he knew what was going on. So he knew what, uh, yeah, okay, so he knew what. Yeah, like consciously, okay. yeah. So like, if you asked him today, he would, uh, you know, whatever, whatever his memory is now, but what he told me, he said, Andrew, I heard everything, everything, everything that was going on. I just, he goes, I thought I was like dreaming, you know, because I couldn't see anything. So it kind of reminded me of the Metallica song and video from one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? Yes. You know, like, holy shit, you know, darkness imprisoning me. Uh, you know, I cannot see that. I'm like, whenever I see that video, I'm like, wow, man, that's that's a crazy thought to think you, someone went through that that I know. You know, like, that's real stuff, bro. The that's guy a crazy way to battle. go. I, I mean, that's a crazy way to go. You know, and some people did go that way. You know, they were buried yeah. in rubble. Yeah. and that's how he oh, died. Yeah. Oh my God! So damn, your dad's you're, lucky. You're talking, and Michael, re remember this is in 1980, like you know, eight or whatever. You know, I was young, bro. This is going way back. Yep. So, um, or around in 1990, I forget the. I was in like fifth grade, man. So whatever it was, around 1990. So my dad makes it through. The next day, they bring us to the hospital. I remember going to the hospital. I remember seeing a priest. Uh, he was like, "Hey, man," um, and it was. Father Judge. Now, Father Judge, Michael Judge, there's a famous photo going around from 9-11 of them bringing out the FDNY chaplain. He's dead. Now, I don't know why someone would want to take that photo. It's sick. The guy's dead, man. They got him. They're carrying him out. He's dead. This is, you, you know, it's a famous thing. You could see the FDNY chaplain. They have him in a chair. They bring him out of the rubble. I met him. I met him, and he was one of the first people to come forward that mm -hmm. he was gay. And that was a huge thing. As it is, and it was a huge thing for a priest. That's a yeah. So I met him. He was lovely, 
you know, at that moment, I didn't know he was gay. I could care less whether he's gay or not. Sure. The, you know, that's irrelevant. Uh, the guy was a great person. He was there for me and my family during a tough time. I was a little kid, you know, I didn't know anything else. Um, I just remember sitting with him and he's like, hey, Andrew, let's go eat. And we sat in the cafeteria and we ate breakfast. I didn't know the extent at that moment of what was going on, you know. So I just remember going in and seeing my dad in the hospital. He was a little out of it. But he was conscious, you know, he's alert. He's just like, yeah, I just had a bad fall. And that's all he said. And like, all right. And literally like two months later, Mario Cuomo, the grandpa, the old, you know, the old man, the old uh, guy from New York, the old school guy, I believe he was the mayor of New York or whatever, um, or governor, whatever he was at the time. He comes to my home. He shows up at my home with the film crew and they sat and they filmed a commercial with me and my family. I didn't know what was going on. I just remember this. Yes, someone's going to come here, this guy Mario, and they're going to film a commercial with us. Just talk about, you know, just answer whatever they say. And they just wanted to take a picture of me playing basketball in the backyard with my brother. We just introduced ourselves. What it was, uh, Cuomo was running for re-election. So they asked if my mom and me, we wouldn't, and my brother, if we wouldn't mind going on camera to do a commercial for his re-election because he was the one that kept the funding for the hyperbaric chamber. Ah, I see. So, of course, my mom was like, yeah. And my dad was Why like, not? yeah, no problem. Uh, yeah, we're, he, my dad's alive because of that thing. You got it. Whatever you need, man. So we're not political. So it was like, but whatever. You know what I mean? The guy wants to come and sure. no problem. So I don't know how I find it. I'd love to find it. There, it, We had it on VHS back in the day, but mm. there's some tape out there of me my family, my mom talking about whatever, the, the incident, whatever happened. I don't know. It's probably circulating. I can find it somehow. It's out so, there. It's got to be. Yeah, man. With technology, I'm sure someone on your show is Googling it. Maybe they can find it. That'd be, uh, you know, it'd be a little upsetting, but it'd be cool to see, <laughs> man. I don't I don't forget that. You know, that was a Somebody has it. We'll find it. We'll find it. And we'll find it. Exactly. Eventually. So, I can tell you this, man. I went through that as a kid, right? I saw my dad go through that. Yeah. Almost dying. Uh, went back to work. He just told me that he was a little more alert when he went back. He just said, you know, I would think a little bit more about my kids and my wife before I went that extra mile. He goes, because, you know, I almost died. So he goes, same thing. If you ever become a fireman, you want to think, you know what I mean? You're going to be young. You're going to be full of piss and vinegar. But you got to think, man, I got a wife. I got kids. Just slow down, you know, slow down sometimes because you need that extra breath that extra step before you just dive into the inferno you know what i mean so i'm like all right like at that age a young kid i'm like all right whatever that means well my uncle jerry lambert he got on the fire department in the 50s okay and he worked in ladder 102 my dad met uncle jerry through marriage uncle jerry married my aunt barbara and my dad used to go with uncle jerry to the firehouse that's how my dad found out about the fdny and I remember as a little kid, Uncle Jerry going to work. And then I, you know, I remember my dad going to work and talking about the firehouse and things like that. And from a young age, is, oh man, my mom has photos. There's pictures of me and Santa Claus at the firehouse Christmas party from like, you know, 1981, 1982, man. I mean, just amazing memories, you know, like I loved being with the guys, I loved being at the firehouse. Even when I was like five, six, man, I, I sent you a picture of me wearing yeah, my did. dad's coat. Right. And the, the bunker coat is longer than me. You know, the gear they wear was longer than me. I was only five. And 
I love going to work because they used to let me ride up front. So I would ride up front next to the officer. I would share the seat and they would let me hit the lights and sirens on the way to fires. Like it was amazing yeah, for a little kid. kid. Oh my a, God. Like, incredible. <laughs> what more do you want? Yeah. So, uh, I always had that in my mind. Oh, I'd like to do that. You know, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Let's see how the cards align. So that's what happened well, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, all this yeah. influence you had with your, your dad and you felt this connection, you know, you loved what he was doing and, you know, you were already visiting this place while you were young. So that's, that pretty much planted the seed in your head for the future of what you wanted to do. Yeah. It, like it's always a possibility with the fire department. It was always, I was always told you take the test and then you wait. You don't wait for them to call you. If they call you, they call you. If you pass, you pass. If you don't, you don't. But you got to have a backup plan. You don't, don't do nothing and sit and wait because I'm glad I didn't wait. Because I took the FDNY test in like 2000, mm -hmm. and it took six years for me to get hired. So, Whoa. and Michael, that's with getting a hundred. I got a hundred. So you don't sit around and do nothing. You know, you obviously in the meantime. So at that moment when 9-11 struck, like I said, I was living out in the Hamptons. I was a union electrician um, that morning. I went to get breakfast. I said, I'll be right back, bro. We usually get coffee around 8.30, quarter to nine. So I get in my car. I don't have a cell phone. You know, I just got in my car. I turn on the radio. I order egg sandwiches at the deli. I'm sitting there and I'm listening to Howard Stern. Ah, okay. Because that's, that's what was on. Sure. You know, that was on in my car. It was on in the, every radio station out in the Hamptons. They just had Stern on. So I'm sitting there and I hear him saying, a plane just crashed into the World Trade Center. So I'm thinking, this is a joke, right? Because it's how it's starting. Yeah, you thought he was joking around. around, sure. Yeah, he's like, you know, maybe somebody called in and pranked him. That's you crazy know, that you're listening to Stern. That's how you discovered 9-11, uh, yeah. first hearing about it. Wow. So, yeah, we would listen to Howard Stern in the morning around coffee time. Uh, you know, union electrician, so yeah. mostly guys at that time. Um we listen to Stern all day on the job site, you know, or most of the day, whatever right. he was on, you know, it was funny. So we just, whatever, like I said, I'm in the deli, literally I'm in the deli ordering my sandwiches and I hear him saying this. So I'm like, I look at the deli clerk. I go, did that really happen, bro? And he goes, hold on. Let me put on 10, 10 wins, like just to make sure. And bang, he puts it on and report. Bang. There it is. 10, 10 wins. There it is. So I was like, holy, sh oh my God. So I, you know, I, the food was done. I grabbed the food, jump in my car. Howard Stern's on the radio. I just race back to the job site, which is only like two minutes away. And I, I give the guy the food. I said, bro, I got to go. I, I got to get home. I need to, I need to call my father. I didn't know if he was working. I didn't know if he wasn't working. I, I, I didn't know anything. But I didn't have a phone. So I, I just, I said, all right, let, let me track down a phone. So I raced home to my mansion. I didn't own it, okay? But I literally... <laughs> Liv, I'll send you a picture of it. You can put it on the website. It was gorgeous, bro. Uh, so I raced over to this mansion, and a couple of my uh, – this is even wilder, right? So my roommates, right, who I live with, you ever heard of that movie Boiler Room? I believe so, yeah, actually. There was a, there was a movie made about these guys on the stock market. Vince Vaughn's in it. Yeah, yeah, that movie. Um, mm -hmm. And there was a company, uh, Stearns and Forster, something like that. Sterling Foster, whatever the name was, it was guys that scheme people. They rob people with fake stocks, right? And right. then they got caught, of course, and they all went to jail. Well, 
some of my I didn't know anyone. I just moved into this mansion, right? Because I my best friend, Nick, I grew up with, he was house sitting. Well, around like, you know, the summertime, all of a sudden, these dudes, that's how it works in the Hamptons, guys move in. Summertime, people come in. Uh, we don't know anyone, right? We don't know anyone that's in there. And as we get talking to people as the summer's going on, I don't know them. They just told me, oh, yeah, we work on Wall Street. All right, whatever. I don't have a cell phone. So there's no Googling. I'm not, you know, looking. I don't, yeah, you can't I look don't know up. who these guys are. Yeah, I could care less, bro. I'm working, man. I'm just a working guy, and we're going to work every day. You do your thing. I do mine. That's it. Well, the guy, I found out, like, eventually, the guys I was living with, some of them were played in that movie. Like, they were the real-life guys from that movie Boiler Room. So I didn't know that. I didn't know that they had schemed people of all this. I, yeah, I had no idea, man. Uh, they were going to federal prison. Like, literally, uh, I don't know when, but they had their sentencings yeah. and everything. And they yeah. were like, oh, yeah, so... It was a little, you know, I found out it was like this. It didn't matter at that point. I was just like, whatever, man, I'm rented a room. You know, I don't care, bro, whatever. Like, you do what you got to do. it. So I go home, and my roommates are home. They're all home. They're, like, we lived in a mansion, bro, so we had eight bedrooms. So it wasn't just them. There was a couple guys that were that worked on Wall Street, and then there were just regular dudes. I lived with a chef. I lived with a couple girls that were – um how do you say, uh, dancers, okay? They were dancers. Um, they were entertainers of sorts. And then yes. I lived, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were in the entertainment business. Loved them with all my heart, man. They were like my sisters. Um, the people in my house, love them to death, man. We were like, fam you know, you become family. You get to know certain people and you connect with them. And the girls I, in my house, man, we were real tight. And uh, we were like family, so man. Everybody was and cool there, yeah. Going through this, bro, going through this 9-11 thing, so I'll tell you, this is how it happens. I get home, I pull in the driveway. I lived in a long driveway. It was probably 50 feet long, literally huge. So, because you got to fit like 20 cars when people come over your house in the Hamptons. So, I'm driving down this giant driveway, man. My pulse rate is through the roof. I'm sweating. I'm anxious. I had a feeling, right? Oh my God, is my dad okay? I know he's there. I didn't even talk to him. I didn't know if he was working. I knew he knew was there. I knew, Damn. but I did not have a feeling that yeah. he was dead. I, I don't know what that would feel like, you know what I mean? But something told me he's there, he's, so he's okay. Okay. Now, maybe, now at this point, I want to be clear. I'm not doing psychic readings. I'm not contacting UFOs every day. I'm just a regular working dude, bro. Like, there's nothing, you know what I mean? I'm not talking about aliens with my roommate, nothing yeah, like your that. Mind you know, nothing. Even, yeah, your mind wasn't even uh, at this yeah, yeah. Uh, stage in this there, point, man. yes. If it was today, it'd be different, but it was just like, oh my God, I have to call my mother and my dad and make sure they're okay. That's it. And my brother, are you, is everyone okay? Because when my, my brother at the time, he was a New York City school teacher. So of course, I don't know where he is in connection to this attack and you just want to make sure he's okay. My mom, New York City school teacher, same thing. Is she okay? Is she safe? Uh, my parents lived close to the city, but now I'm hearing on the way, oh my God. There's, there's other planes that are out there, and there's bomb threats. And people don't know this, Michael, but I was a union electrician. What they had us do, as soon as the attacks happened, they had the electricians. We drove to Queens, so the border of New York City, and they had the electricians setting up mass injury slash casualty stations. Mm, interesting. I did not know that at all. 
So at first, they thought we were going to have thousands of injuries, not thousands of deaths. When this first happened, they thought, oh, people are going to live. Like, they're just going to be really hurt. You know what I mean? People are going to come out of the building. It's not going to fall. They'll just be really hurt. We need to help people. And they wanted to get people away from New York City once they fell. Obviously, everyone had to get out of the city. So just outside the city is Queens. So right there, we went and set up these mass injury stations. Uh, didn't end up using it because everyone died. But so, yeah, so these stations are getting set up, right? I pull down my driveway. And I pull up, I go in the house, and we had a giant, like, 70-inch flat-screen TV in the living room. This is before they were flat back panel, but just the old flat-screen TV with the, the old backing, school ones, you know yeah, those? I recall. Yeah, man, real old school. So I get in the living room, and I see the tower fall. And I was like, whoa, holy shit. So I, call the, I grab the phone, I call the firehouse. I know he's there. I know he's at the World Trade Center. So my dad worked in Bedside, Brooklyn. So I knew he wasn't going to be in the firehouse. I called the firehouse. I said, hey, you know, as soon as the guy picked up, it wasn't someone that worked in my dad's firehouse. It was so what happens is when you get sent to a fire or somewhere else, they'll, they'll sometimes, if they have the, the manpower, they'll, they'll, for example, they'll take fire units from other locations and relocate them to the busy areas. So, just in case another fire comes in, they have to have someone covering the area. So, on 9-11, Michael, it was so bad that they had volunteer companies from Long Island and Pennsylvania, or they literally said anyone, anywhere that's a volunteer, just come. They were putting them in New York City firehouses temporarily, just because they had no one. Everyone was at the World Trade Center. Right. It was all hands. So... I call the firehouse. I don't know who it is. He goes, no, nah, they're, they're relocated to Manhattan, and my heart sunk. Fucking fell on the floor, man. I go, oh, my God. Now, like I said, I didn't think he was dead, of course. I didn't. Maybe I didn't want to believe it. You know what I mean? I didn't want to think that. I didn't want to have it in my mind. I just thought, I just kept telling myself, though, literally, he's okay. I'm going to hear from him. He's okay. So I call my mom. She goes, I haven't heard from him. I'll call you as soon as I hear mm, anything. Damn. You know, we, we just were like keep it simple man we don't know he'll be fine we'll hear from him but of course i'm worried sick now for Absolutely, my mom yeah. you know me my brother thinking oh my god he should have i believe my dad's 20th year anniversary was on september 9th so he could have retired two days before this whole thing you know like so all the stuff's going through your mind he hit his 20th year like two days before 9 11 that's crazy man so you're thinking he didn't even have to go through, like, he didn't even have to be there, man. Crap, oh, my God, what's going on? So, a girl that lived in my home, right, there were multiple people, like I said, that lived there. And we had multiple friends. And we had neighbors. And people that were very wealthy, obviously, because you live on the beach in a mansion, you have wealthy people that live in the area. That's just how it goes, whatever. And you have regular people, like myself, blue-collar, hard-working people, construction workers, whatever. Well, there was a lady in my house. And she, I did not know this because she didn't say it until this day, but she goes, listen, guys, she goes, my husband's an agent. He's a federal agent. And we go, okay. She goes, I just got off the phone with him. What he said, okay, and this is before we knew anything about anything. We just saw the buildings crash. I didn't talk to my dad. was sitting there waiting now for anything, right? Give us something. This girl comes in that we know. Like, we all know her in the house. She goes, my husband's an agent. I just got off the phone with him, okay? 
He said, this is from him, okay? He said that there were guys on the flight, what I heard, of course, the New York flight, there were guys when the flight took off that had supposedly, you know, red bands around their head, Mm. whatever that means. They have red bands around their head. And she said that they were praying to Allah and they were decapitating people with swords. That's pretty outrageous. Yes. Now, how do you get a sword on a plane? that beats the heck out of me, man. I, I, I I've never know. heard that before. That sounds crazy, though. Holy shit. Uh, and like I said, I've never spoke about this, man. Never. I'm just relaying to you what was told to me on that day. I don't have any proof of that. I didn't see that. I didn't hear that reported. This is a lady I live with, I, who I know, and her husband is an FBI agent. I know that. And she said, I just got to phone my husband. This is what he said. So we're all looking at each other like, what the, what? And at the same time, we're watching the news and we're hearing that there's, and and she also said that there were dozens of flights that this was about to happen. They landed several other flights that, they, you know, some didn't even take off. Some were just about to take off. They said this was attempted on several other flights. So she said this thing was going to be much bigger than it actually was. But they got intel, whatever. They shut it down. I don't know. Whatever they did, they stopped flights. I don't know. <clears throat> so we're, we're, I'm, I'm here that. I go, oh, my God, man, we got a real problem on our hands if this is true. you know. I don't know what really is going on. But that's pretty bizarre, and that's awful, and that's frightening, man. If that really is happening, swords? They got swords on a yeah, plane? What? what the heck, man? <laughs> so, my God. Now, a couple hours go by. So this goes on around 9 a.m., right? We're watching this stuff happen. Around 1, 2 in the afternoon, finally, I got a call from my dad directly. Oh, finally. Now, this is five hours later, six hours later, you know, whatever, like a long time, bro, from when it happened till 2, you know, 1 in the afternoon, whatever. That's a long time that to is. wait. To, you know what I mean? And you're sitting by the, by the TV, like shaking, man. You don't know what's going on. I would have thought my dad was dead by then. Holy shit. Right. And then, of course, you have the fire commissioner come on and he, you know, or whoever, and he goes, I have over 300 guys that we lost already. I go, whoa, what does that mean, lost? Like, we don't know where they are. Are they dead? Or, and I'm like, oh my God, he's got to be fine. I just kept telling myself that. That's all, that's all I could do. You know what? What else am I going to do until I get confirmation of something? So I'm watching. He calls me. He's like, I'm okay, bro. I'm using a friend's cell phone. I got to go. I said, no problem. I mean, by this point, Michael, both towers had fell. You know what I mean? Yep. The insanity happened. So Oof. everyone asks, what happened with your dad that day? Well, when this happened, when the first plane hit, in my dad's firehouse, there's an engine and there's a ladder. Yeah. So the, the engine got sent first, engine 209. They went over the Brooklyn Bridge. Then when this happened, my dad... He usually works till 9 a.m. That's when the shift changes. For some reason, that morning, around 8.30, before all this happened, he got here, a guy was in there to work, and he goes, oh, Richie, man, why don't you just go home? He goes, I got you, man. I'll, I'll drive. And my dad's like, all right, yeah, whatever. You got it, man. You got the wheel. So somebody else now is driving. My dad's not driving. He said he's just hanging out, and then all of a sudden, the plane crashes. So they go to the roof of the firehouse in Bedside, Brooklyn, on Bedford Avenue, 
and they're looking at the World Trade Center. They could see it. They could see it on fire. And they're thinking, how are we going to put that out? Like, that, that's, never, that's crazy. You know, like, holy crap, man. Yeah, absolutely. He said, he said they're looking at it, and they see the second plane crash into it. Or whatever did. Yeah. The hologram, the missile. Uh, well, uh, dude, I don't know. Whatever hit it. They, from what he saw something from his distance, it. they saw a plane hit it. Something crashed into it. They looked at each other, and now they just jumped on the truck. My dad is not driving now, okay? So he's in the back. Right. So you have you have guys that are coming in to work to start at 9, and then you had guys that were still at work that just got relieved. So a lot of guys that died that day were not even working. They just got off, and guys just came in. And, of course, a fireman's nature, man, you're there to help. So if you can help... Guys just jumped on the truck. So some companies have like 10 or 12 guys there when they normally had five. I see. And yeah. Yeah. So the numbers that were there were bigger than normal because that's right at the shift change. And believe me, that was all, I think, that was all planned and coordinated because they knew that stuff too. They knew that it would be a little chaotic and be hard a to, shit show to get everybody there. Yeah. And then to find people Damn. out who's missing, who's not, who's there, who was, you That's know, like wild. they knew it would be horrible. And not everyone had a radio. So guys couldn't communicate. Are you okay? Back then, the officer and like one fireman, I think, had a radio. So the other guys, a lot of guys were missing or trapped or whatever. They couldn't call for help because they had no way to. Damn. So my dad's engine company, I said, well, no, nine, right? Knowing that they, really they, quick, really quickly yeah, here, uh, knowing that little fact, that's. That sounds premeditated, like someone somewhere knew that that would happen. Not to get too conspiratorial right away, but I'm just saying that sounds, that sounds yeah, almost, Yeah, just to be straightforward, know. it would be common sense if they could look and see, okay, when did the police change tours? When did the firemen change tours? Oh, 0900? And that, you know, it's the start of the school day. That's the start of the work day. That's a real big time around 9 a.m. So to do something at that time would be very chaotic, you know, because people are coming and going. And so, yeah, that could cause confusion. And like I said, my dad, they have the engine and the truck. The engine goes over the Brooklyn Bridge. So they get over the bridge. My dad's ladder company, they go to the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. And they're told you can't go through because there's a bomb threat. A bomb threat, yeah. There were bomb so threats call, that morning. Yes, they call them bomb threats to every tunnel. Why? Now the firemen and cops can't go through. So that's a big problem. So now you had even less help than you needed. You know what I mean? So they're there. And now my dad's telling me as this is going on, they're screaming and cursing at the driver to go crash down the barricade and drive through. And he said, I can't. He goes, the computer says you have to stay at the tunnel. Do not go through. You don't have authorization because there's a bomb threat. Like, he didn't want to, obviously, the cops are right there, too, saying, no, 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 you can't go through, man. He didn't want to cause panic to a panic situation already. So the first tower falls, and they say, okay, you guys can walk through. Bro, you're talking about a fucking two-mile walk, okay, in your firefighting stuff. That's a long uh, walk, by the way, with very heavy equipment, for those that don't know. Just so people can equate that. I weighed, when I got on the fire department, probably around 150 pounds, somewhere around there. The equipment is over 100 pounds. Exactly, the, yeah. The, it's the, heavy. Just, just, 
just the pants and the coat is like 80 pounds, bro, yeah. without tools. And then your tools, and you're probably taking rescue tools to, you know, because people are trapped and getting out. So, oh, my God. And you, the truck is on the other side of the tunnel, so you don't want to have to go back. So no, of course you're not. taking everything, bro. Like, like everything. So it's eerie because there's videos out there from 9-11 of firemen walking through the tunnel. I recall. That never made it out, bro. That yeah. never made it back. And, you know, when. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. So my dad is walking through the tunnel, right? And he said to me, we walk out of the tunnel and it's like a Hollywood movie, man. There's smoke, there's dust. There's silence. There's no communication on the radio. He goes, it was weird. It was like I was here, but I wasn't. Now, as this is happening, right? Yeah. Like I said, the engine company got there first. They get there, and as they're walking to the tower to go in, someone jumped from one of the buildings. Mm. I don't know what floor, but someone jumped and unfortunately hit another fireman from another house. Oh, shit. So this, this guy, it's a known story. The guy's name is Danny Sir. He was an engine 216. Danny Sir was walking with the guys from my dad's engine company because, they, they, you know, guys all know each other. So guys stay together. They're just walking together, walking there. Someone jumps and hits, and he didn't know at the time, but he killed Danny. You know, he crushed him, whatever, hit him. So they're trying to revive him. Because they, they don't know he's dead. They're, they're like, all right, we'll try to save him. So as they're working on Danny, of course, other firemen see this. Of course, what do guys do? Guys come around. They try to help a fireman. Of course, you got to save your own first, man, to make sure you can go help people. Of course. So they're trying to revive him. As that happens, Michael, the tower fell. So that one guy, Danny, sir, he probably saved the life of, I don't know, 20 firemen at least. Because when he got hit, guys were trying to help him revive, and they picked him up. They moved him to a safe spot to work on him. So it's just weird how things happen or didn't happen, how guys died and didn't die that day. And my dad works in an area of bedside. It's very busy, bro, like extremely busy, you know, very, very busy with fires, emergencies. On that day of 9-11, unfortunately, every single company in the area – Every single company, except my dad's firehouse, every other house lost guys that day. Mm, man. Mo most of the companies lost every guy that day, even that's guys crazy. that weren't even on duty. Yeah, that's... But for some reason, I, I, I don't know, I don't say to people, oh, it's divine intervention, it's God, it's it's Satan, it's... Uh, bro, I, I don't have any of those answers, bro. I have no clue. All I know is, like, at this moment, at that when this happened... I was just trying to be very practical. You know what I mean? Like, okay, they're alive. I don't know why, but they're alive. Uh, but it was, it was a weird feeling for my dad to, you know, with the survivor's guilt and everything else and the oh, guys shit, who worked. Yeah. Wow, why us? You know, why? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, so it really affected your dad, obviously. I I'm sure, man. I mean, I can't imagine to the extent the guys that were there. I'll just tell you another little story, too, because we're on that topic. So I, I worked with another guy, right? A really nice guy. He was an officer. And that day, he had four guys with him. And he goes, okay, you two stay with me. We're going to go to the command post and find out what we're doing. You two, the other two guys, go to the lobby and just stay there. And I'll be right there and we'll go to what floor, whatever we're going to do. 
He goes, I'll be right back. He goes to the command post to find out what they're doing. Boom, the tower falls. So that officer, unfortunately, felt he felt like he sent the two guy, the other two guys in his company to their death. To die, exactly. Yeah, I man. Probably feel I feel that way too. He did not do that on purpose. Oh, of course not. Yeah, because no one thought the thing was going to fall. Nobody. No. No, of course not. That's another thing we'll get around to here um, in a moment. But yes, no one initially thought the building was going to go down. None my, of... a, guy, a guy I consider my uncle, Billy McGovern. He was a chief at the time down in Manhattan. William McGovern. People can look him up, man. I grew up with the guy. He worked at my dad when I was a kid. He was like an uncle to me, man. We went on camping trips together. We shared great times. Kids, family, friends. It was great growing up, man, around the firehouse, even through bad times. You know what I mean? You had people that loved you that would always look out for you. If you had a flat tire or your house was flooded or something happened, you'd have 20 firemen at your house. they just show up, man. What do you need? Like the, they can never do enough. You know what I mean? That's how firemen are. They can never do enough. Most of them, they could just never do enough, especially when something bad happens, bro. Everyone goes. Everyone's there. Everyone wants to help. And a day like that, you know what I mean? It was so messed up where, what are you going to do, man? Now the tower, they, they fell, right? And guys were digging, right? Literally on their hands and knees. And then you would take turns. So you'd go to the firehouse for like your shift, right? So it was 24 hours in the firehouse. And then you get off. You don't come back for like a day. Well, in your off time, my dad and the guys he worked with, they went down to the World Trade Center on their days off, and they were digging, bro, until they told them they weren't allowed down there because, oh, now the air's not good after, you know, six months or a year. What, are you kidding me? Come on. What a load of crap that was. Oh, now the air's not safe. They knew that from day one, bro. Come on. I know that because a guy I know, fireman, his brother worked for the Department of Health, and the day it happened, he came up to the guys in the firehouse with his meters, like they have meters that read the air quality, and he showed him. He goes, dude. This is the air quality, man. And let me tell you, whatever they registered, you know, asbestos and all the other crap in the air, the levels were through the roof, man. But they had guys trapped in there. So you would have had firemen in that rubble digging, no matter what, man. It wouldn't have mattered. Guys would have been in there helping. But knowing what we know, maybe they would have taken safer precautions. You know what I mean? Maybe they would have been wearing masks more. So a lot of guys got sick, as you know, over yeah, the years. All kinds and, of cancer. You know, developed nine eleven shit. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. Like I said, I'm only I'm talking to you about this because my uncle just passed a few months ago. My uncle Pete man. Rest it's in no peace. secret. Yeah. There's no secret, man. He was down there with the NYPD and I'll I'll just tell you a little bit. There's pictures of him out there too on the pile. There's no jokes. Whatever. It is what it is. I didn't talk about this when he was alive because I didn't want to get into it, but he went to the doctors over the years because he didn't feel right. Like, you know, had the cough, you know, that whatever, 9-11 cough. Yes. And he also had some other health issues. The doctor told him, you have something that other guys that were down at the World Trade Center have. We don't even have a name for it. We don't know what it is. Wow. That's pretty crazy. Yes. To be told and something like that, you know. as, <laughs> holy shit. Yeah, this is something people don't know. This is something that they don't, of course, they don't want to hear that. That's reality, bro. I know I, I know because I used to go to the doctor with my uncle, okay? Yeah. I know this shit's real. My uncle got sick. 
they did every test in the world because he was in the military and the, and the police department. So he had good insurance. So he went wanted to make sure he was getting diagnosed properly. So doctors would tell him, oh, I don't know what it is. Oh, it might be a you know bone disorder. Oh, it's ALS. Oh, it's this, it's that. In the end, they did not know. They did They know. could not tell him definitively. Damn, that's that's outrageous. And for those that don't know, just really quickly here, um, Andrew. Uh, for those that don't know, there there's been um, there there there's been several. I believe you can say surveys or studies published about it. But the nine uh, eleven first responders. Um, they included, uh, you know, having prostate cancer and leukemia and uh, other illnesses for, for those that don't know, but it's a large majority of them actually had, had to suffer these things, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. And I know guys that wrote literally 20 years later, no problems, nothing fine. And then they go for their 21st medical exam or the next year's medical exam and oh, you have cancer throughout your blood. What? Yeah, you have leukemia now. Yeah, you have what thyroid you cancer about? or leukemia. Yeah, I mean bizarre stuff, bro. Guys that were healthy, stayed in shape, stayed fit, and then all of a sudden, boom! Now they got this weird, you know, like I just told you, they call it the nine eleven. You know, you got the nine eleven disease. We don't know what it is, but all these first responders, or a lot of them that are coming to the doctors, they have the same types of things. They have trouble breathing. They might have trouble with some bones. They got these weird things. And also, my uncle was a world soccer player. He, he traveled all over the world with the NYPD, which another odd thing, too, played in Italy. Now, five Italian soccer players all got or thought they got and were treated for ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm, yeah. My my uncle played in Italy, and they thought at one point he had ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease because he had similar symptoms. I don't know if he actually did in the end or didn't. I don't know, but it was a weird thing. He was having the same symptoms as these guys. My theory was, and talking to some people and some doctors, you know, I don't know if they spray the, the field where they play soccer with chemicals. I don't know. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't to preserve the field. Sometimes I remember when I was a kid playing high school football, I used to see the janitor come out and spray all sorts of white shit on the field. I don't know what it was, but probably wasn't good for your body. Um, so who knows, you know, how he got it. That yeah. combined with being down at the trade center. Could have been a lot of things. Yeah, man. Exactly. We don't know. I think it was a combination of things, but I, I'm doing this podcast for him, honestly, because uh, it needs to be told, bro. These stories need to be out there, man. This is no joke. It's reality. This is something that my family and me and my family, we went through the last few years. It was awful. You know, you're in the family that no one wants to be part of. You don't want to be in that type of family where someone in your family is very ill and gets sick and can't walk. You know what I mean? It's awful, bro. It, it, it is. No one wishes that. No, not at all. No, you don't wish that on your worst enemy. Uh, to go through something like no. that in life. And yes, you guys were deeply impacted um, throughout. You know, you were impacted that morning and further on it, just like so many other families out there um, that had to endure this sort of thing. And I I'm sure during that time, you know, you were pretty, I'm pretty sure you're quite young during that time um, on 9-11. How old were you then? 
Um, so I was September. So I was twenty. Yeah, twenty-one. So you're twenty-one. Yeah, twenty-one. Yes. Yeah, so I, I, I'm sure you remember how everyone was after the the event. You know, everyone was so gung ho to figure out what happened and to go invade another country and to kill an arrow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody was. You know, everybody was all amped up. Yeah, I mean, even violence broke out in the streets. People were being attacked. All kinds of shit I went know. down. It, it was chaotic. And like I said, at that moment, I knew something wasn't adding up. I, I just said, this looks too perfect. You know what I mean? So, this is why I say that. Another uncle of mine that passed, who I talked about on your show previously, my Uncle John. Oh, yes. My Uncle John, he was in the Navy, okay? I asked him... Now, he, he never told me – he did not talk about this stuff, man. He worked in the Navy, and then he was at Lockheed. So he's like, Andrew, I don't want to get into conspiracies. <laughs> but late, late in life, I just said to him, I said, Uncle John, now tell me, you've been to the Pentagon, right? He goes, sure, plenty of times. I said, how many cameras are at the Pentagon? He goes, oh, a few hundred? Yeah, a few you know, hundred. In and around it, I said, now – Including the bathrooms. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, so whatever hit the Pentagon, whatever hit it. I said, wouldn't they have a photo or a still or a video? He goes, yeah, of course. I said, so show the video, case closed, done. That's it, right? Whatever hit it, done. No conspiracy, no nothing. Missile, not missile, plane, just why show? Why not show that? And yet they're toying us with the World Trade Center thing. Like, like it's eye candy, you know what I mean? Like they're taunting us, but yet the Pentagon, oh, no, no, that's classified, man. You can't see that. You know, now, nah, man, that's something something does not make sense. Something is not adding up. So he said, yeah, that doesn't. He goes, all I can tell you is they have the footage, right? So being practical, there is footage. Why wouldn't you show it? I don't know. Well, Michael, a couple of years after 9-11, this is no accident. I am at a place called Governor's Comedy Club in Levittown. And I'm sitting at a table at a comedy show. This gentleman in a suit sits next to me. And... I just I started to get into spiritual stuff, you know, like uh, you know more more UFO stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, of course, not not nine eleven conspiracy because I was just trying to be very practical about it. You know, I wasn't going off the Alex Jones bandwagon. You're going too crazy. And that yes. stuff was just like uh, that's like a little too much for me. That was a little like okay, I don't know about that, but l- let's just see, man. Let me let me go with my heart, man, and just figure it out, right? So. Some dude in a suit comes in, sits next to me. I start talking to the guy. Oh, where are you from? He goes, oh, I'm from Washington, D.C. All right, what do you do? He goes, I'm a dentist. I said, really, where? He goes, grocery street from the Pentagon. I go, okay. He's like, what about you? Now, I was a new fireman at this time. I just got on the fire department. So this is, I got on in April 2006. So maybe I was on for a couple months. So I said, oh, I'm a firefighter, you know, New York. He goes, oh, that's great, man, you know. And uh, so I see the emotion and tone in his face change. Mm. Now, like I said, I could feel, okay, there's something he's holding on to, man, that he he wants to say, but he feels weird. Uh, You know, like when you're around people, sometimes you could tell they're not saying something, but they want to. You could feel it. That's the feeling I got. Yeah. This is not psychic stuff. This is just, I could see in his face got like white and he like, like he almost like he felt like he was offending me. So I was like. I said to him, I said, so, listen, I, I just want to ask you, man, what about that day? And he puts his drink down and looks at me and he goes, honestly, he goes, I, I treat people from the Pentagon. You know, they're, they're my clients, the people that work there. He goes, and I hear a lot of mixed things, man. It's not good. I go, 
really? I said, so like some of this, you know, crap out there and inside. And he goes, yes, yeah, stuff like that. I go, oh, man. Now, I didn't want to get into with the man. You know, he's with his wife or whoever. I'm with my, you know, girlfriend and whatever, man. We're just trying to have a good night. I just, okay, man, I, I figured there was more to this, right, than just whatever, right? So I ended up meeting Stephen Greer, Dr. Stephen Greer. And I met Dr. Greer in 2011. And I grabbed him on the side one night. And I said, listen, I, what about 9-11? You, got, you know people at the White House, bro. What do you hear? And he said, okay, just like you saw on TV, the commander-in-chief, Cheney was there, right? He, right. Because Bush was down at, with the kids at school. And I remember um, a guy testifying at the 9-11 trial saying he supposedly said to Cheney, like, we have a report of something headed at the Pentagon. The Navy just called us. Uh, does the call stand to stand down? Meaning, there's something headed towards the Pentagon. Would you like us to take it out or not? And he said, yes, of course the order stays. So meaning, stand down. So that didn't sound right to me, right? Why would you... If something was heading towards you, and the military, the Air Force, the Navy, I'm sure, is all around the Pentagon, I would hope, and the Army and whatever else, you have a target heading towards the White House, you could see it, you could take it out, I would hope you would take it out, I hope, but uh, Greer said to me, just like you saw the planes heading into the buildings, he goes, yes, that is what happened, it's no illusion, nothing like that, it did happen how it happened, however, the command was given to stand down. And I go, oh, all right, man, that's a shame. I fit, I, I, you know, I've heard a lot of things, and we can get into that, of course. But I was hoping that it was something as practical as that, you know, uh, bomb sniffing dogs and all these things being removed out of the building. I have no intel to that, man. Nothing like that. I could just tell you, I've asked people that were credible or people that were there or things like that. What happened? Whatever. These are the people that know people, and this is what they relayed to me. Uh, my father. He never had any information like that. I just know one thing. A retired fireman wrote a book. I'll find it. I'll send you the info. He wrote a book, and he said that he dug up the black box or black boxes. I forget if it's one or both. He dug them up. He called on the radio. said, oh, I found, you know, it was identified easily. He said, I found, you know, the black box or whatever it says, whatever it says on it. Boom. The feds came, took it, gone. Right. At ground zero on nine eleven. Yeah, that that's really common uh, for them for the feds to show up and uh, take things away. I mean, even with uh, that that gentleman, I I think it was a, a, some sort of a gas station. There is a man by the name of Jose Velasquez, I recall, mm-hmm. and he was doing something with. Uh, he was in charge. He was like a supervisor, I believe, of a gas station, and the feds and uh, the feds went in there and took the footage. And I think it's kind of a uh, funny that. The feds seem to do that a lot. Our, our government either confiscates video or claims to have lost it uh, or, or it was destroyed somehow. I mean, it's a strange loop that, you know, we've gone through uh, for various years now with um, like uh, 9-11 for one, you know, the Pentagon, the all the other footage out there that is just missing. The, the moon landing, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, you know, the, you can go down the line here. Yeah, it is very interesting. Um, you know, the same thing with footage. You know, it, I, once again, trying to be a normal human or practical or whatever. Sure. All right. Hey, if you have proof, right, say of UFOs, aliens, bodies, planes crashing into buildings, I would think, 
that if they thought, all right, hey, if we release this, this is going to cause panic. People are going to flip out. So we're not going to release this yet or we're going to hold on to it. Uh, like, okay, I could understand why they wouldn't release something. That I understand. I, I, I may not agree with that personally. You know, I, I don't have a problem seeing the truth for what it is. Being psychic, I know anyway. I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, I have my own truth, so you do whatever you want, man. Live in your illusion. But people... I understand at higher levels or who are in control of governments and people like that, I know their decisions must be very, very, very challenging. Very hard. And, you know, here's wow. another thing. I'm glad we're talking about, uh, you know, this part of 9-11, the whole conspiracy angle, because I know it's especially difficult for those out there that, you know, lived out in the East Coast and were out there and were personally affected by it. You know, this sort of talk wouldn't have it wouldn't have a flown, um, no pun intended, back when 9-11 first happened. The whole sort of conspiracy thing or even questioning the government at that time was a big no-no. You know, you'd be seen as like a traitor uh, to some out there when you would just generally try to even talk about perhaps that the government might have been maybe partially responsible for this. Yeah, and I think... With any situation like this, even currently what's going on with COVID and whatever, yeah. Russia, the Ukraine, people are given a bad guy to point at or someone to look at. I mean, That's you just right. turn on the news and they say, all right, it's his fault. Oh, it's Putin's fault. It's not Putin's fault. It's depending on what day of the week. It's crazy. So people, I think that that kind of thinking must have worked, right? Must it have works. worked since the beginning of time. Hey, tell the masses it's this. They'll believe it anyway. And they do, because if it didn't, they wouldn't keep doing what they're doing. So there is a war. There is. There is a spiritual war going on. Uh, I tell people this when they ask me about what about good evil aliens or bad aliens or demons or angels. I said, listen, I'll tell you this. I know good humans and I know bad humans. Right now, those are the ones I'm concerned about. The things that are out there and whatever else is around us, they don't want to come near us. Why would they? We're doing a great job of just destroying ourselves and with the way we treat each other. If I was an alien out there in space looking down, oh man, I'd be frightened to land and communicate with any one of us. Because at the drop of a dime, we're turning on a certain news network or whatever. If you're brainwashed, you know, well, today that alien's good. The next day, you know, you're going to be calling the police to lock him up or to kill him or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, the mere fact. That all these years, Michael, if UFOs and stuff, if they've been shot down, like at Roswell or things like that, if these things have been, and they have at times, if they've been shot down or tortured or menaced or bothered by humans, the mere fact that they're still showing up, wow, these things must be pretty forgiving and pretty freaking peaceful. Because if they weren't, with the way we treat each other's and with the way we treat them, dude, they should have wiped us out ages ago. Or maybe they already have an understanding that man is essentially an animal still, and we're still, you know, wild. And we would do something like uh, shoot them down or try to, you know, reverse engineer their technology, which I think we must have done uh, to have this sort of boost and jump, the significant jump in technology back in the 1950s. Um, we had all this sort of advanced technology that seemed to just come out of the ether all of a sudden yes um so you know we could go into that that sort of a thing as well but um my whole thing is you know these 
these uh, entities or aliens, whatever, the greys, I'm starting to believe that these aren't really, they're, they're not organic. I'm starting to believe these are yeah. maybe even AI to a certain mm-hmm. degree. These are like a harder, this is like a hard shell that you're seeing and they're being controlled and sent out here uh, for whatever reason. And it's probably been going on for many years. And if you go by that and look at, you know, early civilization through religion and all this other shit, um, you could see them depicted throughout time that we definitely were visited by something and probably still are. Yeah, I mean, if and think about this. If we were going to Mars or wherever else and there was, was another life form there and we were possibly threatened or to just be on the safe side, even look now, when they go to Mars, what do they send? A probe, a probe. or a rover right. or something else. The actual person to go there, you got to be extremely careful. And if a place had a track record for annihilating each other, I don't. I hope they wouldn't send a human there, right. at least not at first. So be a, good a idea. lot of times, I have news for people because they really think people really think that they are communicating with Christ or Jesus or an entity or oh my God, I met this you know uh, angel from the Bible and no, you didn't. You met their pet dog. Yeah, mo- most likely you did not meet who you were <laughs> told you were meeting. Yeah. You, no, 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 no way, because it, 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 it doesn't make, you know, same thing. It, it, that would not make sense, at least not at first. I don't think at first you'd want to play it safe. You'd send a probe or you get a vision or a hologram or something. So, yeah, there's no way that all around all these people and in interactions are actually communicating with the real thing. I don't believe that's possible. So, I um... think you're spot on. It's AI or it's some sort of hologram. Or, Michael, it would not surprise me if we found out one day that the majority of this whole thing, and I'm saying not everything, but the majority of, overwhelming majority of all of this phenomena stuff is all human. All. Meaning AI, reverse, you know, whatever stuff they're up to and they have, they've just been playing us all along because it's a great story. And it doesn't make sense to have the truth revealed. You look now, there's... And sadly, this is where we part ways. If you want to hear the full interview, please go to patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. See you there.